Today, as we begin this message, we are going to deal with a very sensitive and difficult subject this week and possibly the week after. Next week will be Mother's Day. Won't continue this, but we'll see how far we get today. As you know, we are still continuing in our in our course in our pretty much verse by verse going through the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 19 today. In our Bible study, we're dealing with the same passage, or I should say issue, in the book of Mark, chapter 10. Today, we will deal with this matter of marriage and divorce, what the Lord has to say. I will say this. Because of the sensitivity of the subject, I don't want people getting all nervous and everything, and but I do want you to know that the Word of God is very clear, and one of the things that we need to consider is marriage, divorce, is not man-made. It does not come from you, doesn't come from me, it comes from the Lord and the, the rules in regards to it, how it's set up. And when we look at this passage today, or begin this passage I want you to keep in mind that even way back in Deuteronomy, marriage was a big problem. Even during Moses, he had to address it. There was a problem. Now, you've got to remember, whenever you read the Bible, you read and need to understand that you don't only have content, what's there, but you have to address the context. What was the situation? What was the living environment and the living situation of the people? And so you can't simply pull out of Scripture and try to make everything apply in the day in which you live. Why was it written? What were they dealing with? All right? What was the issues? Why was Jesus always being confronted by the religious leaders? And one needs to understand as we've been going through the topics and the discussions um, and the Word, we need to know and understand that the religious leaders were always are normally trying to trap Jesus. And I've said several times, whenever you try to trap Jesus, look out because you're going to be trapped yourself. Stand with me, please, as I pray. Today, Lord, we have come into this place to magnify your name, and we thank you for the love of our Savior. The fact that your word is for our good. We pray today that you will have mercy upon us and that you will bless us and keep us and lead us and guide us into all truth. May we remember and understand that you have the best plans for us. Your word is to help us. It is to help us and strengthen us. It is to lead us in the right direction. We honor you and we thank you right now. And give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to obey. And may we take in the word of God. It applies to every one of us. Whether we're married, whether we're not. How we look and evaluate. How we look at the word of God. May we allow the scriptures to say what it says. May we allow the word of God for it to bring out, may we bring out what is in the text rather than reading in what we wanted to say. We bless you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated. Turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and then I'm going to jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, Mark, I'm going to give you also, I'm not going to read this, but Mark chapter 10 also has the same passage with, with a, a slight variation, but very close. In Matthew chapter 19, this is what it says, beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Flesh. What therefore God is joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can, can receive this same, but only those to whom it is given. Deuteronomy chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she had been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is going, is giving you, for an inheritance. The title of this message is The Question About Divorce. The Question About Divorce. Point number one, the planned attack. The planned attack. That would be Matthew 19, 1 through 6. While Matthew <coughs> records Jesus' answering the the question of the Pharisees, we find that Matthew has Jesus moving directly to the heart 
of God's plan from the beginning. What was God's design regarding marriage from the beginning with Adam and Eve? However, when you look at the book of Mark, chapter 10, you find that when they ask the question, the religious leaders, that Jesus turns it around and says to them, well, what does Moses say? And we find in Mark that they are the ones who supply the answer to the question that they bring to Jesus. Now, just last week, Sister Michelle told y'all that Jewish people turn the question around and they ask questions themselves. So they don't answer, they answer a question with a question. That's what she told you last week. Jesus asked them a question. Now remember, they are trying to trap him. We're going to look at some things in here about what's going on and hopefully to bring out some of the technicalities. So Mark basically in his version, in his gospel, has the Pharisees who have come to trap Jesus, he has them supplying the answer. And then from there, Jesus responds by going to the original design of God. But Matthew doesn't do it. He bypasses the question that Jesus asked them. And he basically goes straight to the heart of the problem, which goes back to Genesis chapter chapter 1. Verse 26, and then Genesis 2, 24. Why would the Pharisees come and interrupt Jesus? Now, the Bible says that Jesus left that region. He left Galilee and went to the region beyond the Jordan. Now, he had been teaching his disciples because, as you know, they had a problem and he has now ended that discussion about the greatest. He has laid out how one is to treat their their neighbor in regards to the church member. If a church member sins against you, what your response is to be to them. He's gone through that now. And he leaves and Jesus has the crowds following him. Now get this. He is on his way to Jerusalem. His ultimate goal is to go to Jerusalem because he has to die. But he is still ministering as he goes. So the Bible mentions that he leaves and the location that he goes to, many believe that it is a place called Perea. Now, why would this be important? We have the religious leaders come and they interrupt the teaching of Jesus right in the midst, in the middle of what he's teaching. He's not only is he teaching, but he's healing the people that have come to him. And he's interrupted because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, have a trap for him. What's the trap? They raise this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Get that nuance. Anything. They have asked this question now with Jesus on this side. And what's important about this, we need to remember that the governor or the ruler here, won't call him a king, but the tetrarch means a ruler of the fourth. Herod Antipas is still ruling. 
He has already killed John the Baptist. Based on his wife's statement or saying, I want the head of John the Baptist. He told her daughter when she had danced, go and say you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. It is this Herod Antipas who is ruling. And so it is possible that the Pharisees have come because they know that if Jesus gives the wrong answer, that his life will be in danger because of what has already happened. He's going to be confronting the issue of Herodias, Herod's wife, because John the Baptist said it is wrong for you to have your brother's wife. And John lost his head as a result. Because he spoke out. So it is possible that when they have come, they have this in, in their mind. There are, I'm going to say at least three reasons possibly. It could be more than that. But I'm going to give you three of why in this first point of possibly why they come. The one that I just gave you regarding Herod Antipas. The second is that the Jewish men who believed that divorce was permitted by them and many engaged in this type of practice would not want this tampered with. You see, when they ask Jesus, is it lawful? They are trying to set the trap for him. And so they raise this question because now they know that Jesus has also a crowd around him of Jewish men. And they know that they are the only ones that can divorce. The women can divorce. It was only something that men could do. So when we read back in Deuteronomy, if a woman displeases her husband, if he gives her a certificate, is what I said. The context, it was a male culture. This is the context. Women, women could not divorce. Many times they have rights. And so it is possible when they bring this question, they're hoping that Jesus will say something that will get the crowds upset. Why? Because they didn't like his popularity. Pharisees said he's too popular with the people. And we don't like all the people hanging around him. So we got to do something to discredit him. How is Jesus going to extricate himself out of this situation? And they're setting the trap. And so that may be a possibility, the second. And not necessarily in that order. The third is that there were two primary schools of thought during this time of Jesus' ministry. There was the person by the name of Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, and Rabbi Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I. Rabbi Hillel and his school and followers, when it came to the, marriage, the matter of marriage, said, man, you can divorce your wife for any reason. They would be the more liberal, no-fault divorce. Just send her away. Doesn't make a difference what it is. So they took the more liberal approach. Could divorce her for almost any reason. The other school was Rabbi Shammai, who was more conservative, who said that the only way that a person could divorce his wife was for marital unfaithfulness or adultery. That was the school of thought there. And so these two competing schools, or these schools are, are 
basically what the religious leaders have in mind as they come to Jesus. Which school is Jesus going to basically take sides with? And so they raise this question knowing what the two schools of thought were from Hillel, more liberal, Shammai, more conservative. And so the question, but Jesus does not bite on that. In the Gospel of Mark, he tells them, well, what does Matthew, what does uh, Moses say? Now, he takes them to the scripture. Now, I want you to note something. They already have an answer formed when they come to Christ. When they come to Jesus, they already have in their mind a question, the answer rather to the question. They already are thinking about what the answer is. And so Jesus, in asking them the question, basically elicits what's already there and gets them to speak up. Like I told you, let a person talk long enough. They're going to condemn themselves. Just let them, don't, 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 don't say nothing. Just step back and let them talk. Let them talk. They'll eventually, they'll eventually convict themselves. They've done something wrong. They'll convict themselves. Just let them talk. Don't say anything. Shh. Be quiet. Or let's make sure we've got the right story. That's why when they take people into interrogation rooms, they separate people if they've been involved in the same thing or they think we've got two suspects. They'll separate them to see what the story is. Do they tell the same story? Rabbi Hillel and Shammai were members of the Sanhedrin. Hillel was the president, it's believed, and Shammai was the vice president, and they had their schools. But Jesus does not go there. He basically raises the matter of Moses. Now, what Matthew does, he goes to what's the original design of marriage? What was in God's mind when he created man and woman? What was the design? Jesus says that from the beginning, it has always been God's plan that one man and one woman marry if they were to marry. Marriage is not something a person has to do. You don't have to be married. But if one chooses not to be married, then one has to remain celibate. One has to say, this is the lifestyle that God has given me. Some can do it. But the Lord says if a person wants to marry, they haven't sinned, go ahead and marry. But they must marry a person that is a believer. So if a person that's a Christian, they already know the Lord, they are to marry a person that is a believer. Don't be going to try to marry. Well, let me find somebody at the club. Uh, that No, no, that is not according to Scripture. A Christian, a professing Christian, should not be looking down the road around the corner, the club and every place else. They need to find that person that is a Christian. Now, you might find them at a, at a, at a location, at some, some place, but they've got to be a Christian. In other words, you can't go searching and say, well, I, 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 I'm going to convert that person, man or woman. I'm going to bring them to the Lord. Be careful. It is often the opposite. So a believer has to marry another believer. And God has a way of orchestrating that. So please don't come telling me that the Lord has led a person to your life. He said you are a Christian and they don't know the Lord. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to marry them. 
But if a person is unmarried, un- unsaved rather, they have not yet come to the Lord, they, they're going to they're gonna marry a person that may not be saved, that won't be saved. And some people then will come to the Lord. But if a person goes out deliberately seeking someone, the Lord says that's not the design. Like I said, this is not going to be an easy message for people to hear. But it's the word of God. When we look at God's original design, the world does not accept God's design because it sheds light on an area that they disagree with. The Lord says one man and one woman. Now, it is interesting that when he made Adam and put him in the garden, and then he made Eve, took one of Adam's ribs and formed woman, that he brought her to the man. It was God who performed the first marriage ceremony. God himself did that. Brought her to the man. You will note throughout the Old Testament, this person had that person and that one, and then he had 300 concubines. Many of God's people. Solomon. What are you going to do with a thousand women? 700 wives. 300 concubines. Solomon loved women. Solomon got in trouble later in his life, even though he was the wisest man. Because what he did for one, the other said, well, I want that too. I told you, he went on a building project in his later years. One said, one, one, one of the women that was a pagan worshiper, well, I want a temple to my God too. And so he went on a building campaign making buildings and making, uh, building these, these, these shrines for his idol-worshiping wives. And the Bible says because he did not fully follow the Lord as his father David did, the Lord says, I'm going to take the kingdom from Solomon, but not during his lifetime. I'm going to take it from his son. Because of my love for David, I'm going to hold my judgment until your son. But Solomon, it's because of what you've done. We have to be very careful that just because... The matter occurs in the word of God. Something happens doesn't mean that God is sanctioning it. Thank God for repentance. That he, that he can forgive us for things that we've done. In other words, he won't hold it against you. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But doesn't mean we stay there. Now there is a, an important thing you need to note. Sin does not mean, listen carefully. When you have sinned, it doesn't mean you stay there. And secondly, it doesn't mean that you won't deal with the consequences of your actions. And oftentimes God will not have a person deal with the consequences. He'll forgive them. And there's then God will just wipe the slate clean. There's not the repercussions. But there are times when a person won't, there are consequences that follow even though you are forgiven and on your way to heaven. And there's sometimes the mistakes that people make that God forgave me. Why am I still dealing with that? Because it's the consequences of what we've done in the past. You can't always escape your consequences. So be careful that you don't say that I'm not forgiven because everything has not worked out as I thought. I'm still dealing with that. How come I'm still dealing with that? Because it's something that we've done in the past. Your past can follow you. Even though God forgives you, the issues can still present themselves in the future. I'm still dealing with stuff from the past I've done. You're still dealing with stuff in the past that you've done. But 
We are forgiven. God has not held up, won't hold that against us. And we can live in victory over sin. So remember you're forgiven. And go on and live for the Lord. Stop beating yourself up and say, I've been forgiven. It is Satan who wants to destroy you, who wants to tear you down. So the Lord gives the matter of marriage. He tells, Jesus tells them that God's design from the beginning was that man would have, it would be one man and one woman. Marriage has never been the plan of God for one spouse to do as he or she pleases to the exclusion of what the other person thought. I can do what I want to do. It's not the case. I said today we have no fault divorce. Workshops on how to get divorced in 30 days or 30 minutes. (laughs) Teaching you how to set up your prenuptials and teaching you how to do a a quick divorce, how to do it right. Just, just there's workshops teaching you how to go about this. So in this matter that was brought to Jesus, Jesus goes to the original of God's plan. And so their first question to him is beginning to shine light on them because many of those Pharisees had already divorced their wives. They had already let her go. You see, in the Jewish culture, when a person was engaged, the betrothal period, it lasted a year. And it was often during that time that the husband or the the man and the woman didn't even see each other until the wedding night. But that betrothal period was a binding contract in which it was already stated that they were married. The perfect example would be Joseph and Mary. Jesus' mother. Remember when he found out that she was going to have a child? And the Lord had said it was of the Holy Spirit, told her. Joseph was thinking, how can I divorce her privately, keep her from being shamed? How can I do this? And while he was contemplating this, the Lord revealed to him, Joseph, this is of me. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The Lord says he took her as his wife and they fled to Egypt. It was binding. In order to break the betrothal, it was said that you had to divorce her. The betrothal was binding. The engagement was binding. It wasn't a matter of, well, we going together. That was binding. You want to get out of that contract, you had to, well, I got to break this engagement. It was binding. There are some people who believe that, well, we need to live together first to see if we're compatible. Well, let me just say this. You might live together, and the day you get married, you find that, oh, we should have stayed living together. No, we shouldn't have got together in the first place. But that's all right. It's already happened. But, but, not for everybody, but let me say this. It's a trick of the enemy that one believes that it's better to live together first to see if we can make it. It goes against God's plan because marriage is supposed to be for a lifetime. You see, the religious leaders in bringing this question thought they were trapping Jesus. And so one of the things that they would do is they would get upset with their wife and says, 
I'm divorcing you because I see a prettier woman walking down the street. I'm going to divorce you. I don't want you anymore. You just burnt my toast. My breakfast is cold. I'm divorcing you. Rabbi Hillel said, for any reason, you don't walk just right. I want a divorce. And so the question that's raised for Jesus, you see off the beginning, is it okay for a man to divorce for any reason? And so what does the Lord do? What was the original design? And so they now become a little nervous because they're in this matter here that they ask Jesus, and they begin to say, "Uh uh-oh, many of us have been divorced. And and, and they're beginning to now um, get a little scared because what they had been doing is now under the microscope. You see, if you are married and you are trying to set traps for your partner, be careful. Don't try to set traps. If you are going to get married, this is for those who have not even gotten married, be careful in trying to set traps. The Bible says that God made them one. In other words, it is to work together. Now, we know that all types of things happen in marriages, fighting and arguing. That's just a part of it. Do you not know that eagles stay together for life? When they get connected, they remain together forever. I can see an eagle flying overhead. Ooh, what's that over there? <laughs> she over there. I'm going to head on. Scoot down there. No, no, eagles stay together for life. So the Bible says what God has joined together, in verse 6, let not man, get this, let not man separate. Huh. So, If marriage was a problem way back in Deuteronomy with Moses, and they raise, and Jesus takes them to the place, says, well, what does Moses say? And they give him the answer. Huh. They basically feel that Moses has given us permission to divorce. Now, let me say this. I'm going to have to bring this to a conclusion for today and pick up in a couple of weeks. They felt that Moses' law or telling them that they could divorce, that it was a command to divorce under certain situations. In other words, we have the right to divorce. This is what they are thinking. This is what's in their mind. We can divorce. Isn't it interesting that the Lord brings dignity actually to marriage? While man was the only one that could divorce, and I'm going to say this, just, and even though it's later on in my, what I was going to say, I'm going to bring it up here now. And that is, in the law of Moses, it really was a protection for women. Because men was just divorcing and there was no certificate, there was nothing. They just divorced. And so what Moses was trying to do was give order in this word to them, bring order and some control around something that was out of control. When we as a people, as a church, look to the world as the example, we will always go down the, down the wrong road because they don't follow God's word. Satan attacks marriages. If you note the very things that are sacred to God, Satan goes after very strongly. Why do you think there's so many problems in marriage? Not only because you've got two, two people coming together, but because Satan 
hates God's plan. So therefore, you got people saying, I can marry multiple women. Today, our religion promotes that. Some religions put women down, say they can't do anything, can't show their faith. Marriage is a partnership. And what Moses did, he gave with trying to bring some type of control, dignity, and protection. Because when women were divorced, they were often destitute. Because they couldn't even make their own living. So when the husband divorced, that was it. And so the Lord, in his love, he says, what was the original design? I'm going to say this and then close for today. Let's point two is moving to the second question. Point two is moving to the second question where I'm going to start with next time, but I'm going to say this. The first question that the religious leaders ask, it prompts them, based on Jesus' answer, to go to the second question, which is, then why did Moses permit divorce if with their not understanding, it's supposed to be permanent. Why did he permit it? And Jesus' reply comes because of the hardness of your hearts. It was put in. Now, we're going to have to pause here. You see, God's law and his word is for our protection and our help. When we look at God's law, it is to help try to steer us and lead us in the right direction. Not try, it will lead us in the right direction. When we think about marriage and the difficulties that happens within a marriage, it is the working through those difficulties that actually strengthens the marriage. Now, there are some times where there are some problems to where, yes, it is really difficult, difficult to reconcile those differences. But when they can be reconciled, it strengthens. Do you not know that trees grow and are strengthened because of the storms that come? Children learn how to accept no when they're told no. no. When you tell them yes every time and you never say no so that when they become just a little bit older, you try to put limits on them, they'll tell you no and hit you. That's why they've got to be trained early on. It says, no means no. You cannot do this. It is to help them so that when they get older, how to be able to function in the real world. Setting limits helps people, help people, helps people to learn how to do that, which is right not only now but later on and how to live. So when we look at this matter of the Lord's word here, it is for our protection. Now, like I told you as I bring this to a conclusion, when you try to trap Jesus, the standard is always raised. When you try to ensnare Jesus, the standard is always raised. The spotlight always goes back to you. Keep this in mind as we conclude. It was God who says, that man is to leave father and mother and to cleave or cling to his wife. And it was often within the Jewish family that the males often live either with or close by their family. And so this would be radical as well because to leave and to cling and to cleave, it's not always easy. I know that personally. But when you think about the matter and the fact 
that even extended family becomes secondary to a married couple. You have to keep this in mind, that marriage was God's design. And therefore, what God has brought together, don't take man-made solutions to try to destroy. Things can be worked out, work it out. If your spouse decides to leave, you can't stop them. Bob said, let him go. Won't say much more about that now, but keep this in mind. It is God's design. And these religious leaders who brought the question to Jesus really didn't know what was coming. They didn't know. But the Lord brings the truth in a way that only he could do. Lord, we honor your name today and we thank you for your goodness. And even though this is a difficult topic, and all of us have been affected in areas of this, we pray today that, Lord, you will help us to know and to recognize that it is your word that is for our protection and our good. It is to help us, to lead us. It is to strengthen us, bring conviction that there will be change. We pray today. But oh, while your word at times is very painful, it yet brings about the cure that's needed. We thank you that even through all that we have gone through, the Bible says that, yes, Christ has come to die for every sin. There's nothing that is, that is not under the blood of Christ. And we pray today that there will be a covering over the hearts of people. We pray that you, Lord, will help people to get through even the guilt. Many people are living under guilt. We pray that guilt will be lifted when repentance has occurred. May people say, I'm sorry, and move on and do that which honors your name. We pray today that you will help us to know that healing belongs to the children of God. And we love you and we praise you and we exalt you this day. Now be glorified in this place. Bless us as we go. Help us to know and understand that it was because of your love for us that you gave us your word and that you died for us. That we could be with you forever. Oh my Lord, we pray that we'll never forget it. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.